You don't have to venture across the multiverse to find a good adventure. In fact, you don't even need to step away from your computer. When veterans of our very favorite pastime outline the story, you know it's going to be a good ride. Mystery, intrigue, and a copy variant wait for you among these digital pages as we talk through Tabletop Journey's newest release, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. I'm your host, Sarah, and I'm your other host, Morgan. We are two sisters by marriage who love to talk about stories from writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D to exploring the multiverse with tabletop journeys. We're out of, out initiative. of initiative. Today, we're talking to Leonika, Glenn and Josh of Tabletop Journeys, the creators of The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. We're so excited to have you guys here. Uh, we are super excited to be Thanks here. Thank that. you so very much for having us, ladies. Yeah, we we really appreciate it. This is a great. Uh, I expect it to be a great time. So. When I say like we're excited to talk about talk to veterans of our favorite pastime, like I, we're really serious. We're like we're so stoked. Like you guys have the credentials to really back it up. Do you want to give us like a quick intro? Like let our oh, wow. let our listeners know who you are, what you're about, and uh, that incredible number of combined years that you have uh, in experience. <laughs> That's, that just makes us sound old, Morgan. Yeah. Season, that, you know, no, uh, season. Season. I like it. Yeah. Like season. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I am Saison of the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, we are uh, the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Uh, we are in another tabletop role playing game uh, podcast out there uh, in the interwebs. We talk a lot of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, of course. We talk a lot of other games also. And really, what we love talking about more than anything else is homebrew and making your own campaigns and writing your own stories. We're, we're huge into uh, into storycraft and gamecraft and everything like that. Um, content and so, creation, some yeah. of the indie games out there that are coming out. Yeah, we're, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, and content creation in particular is what, what brings us all together here today uh, with our most recent book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So, yeah. And yeah, and we've been, the, the three of Josh. us have been role-playing for like, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, this is Josh. Yeah, 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 sorry. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, between the three of us, we have, uh, we actually, we need to update the number because I think we actually did the math. Uh, it's closer to like 120 years between the three of us, but that's, yeah, but yeah. So we've, we've been at this for a, at this for a it's while. It's been a minute. It's, it's been, been a minute. Yeah. It's <laughs> over a hundred. I don't think we're closer to the 120 mark yet, but yeah, there's, the debate is still, you know, the, the jury's still out on the exact number, but we're definitely over a hundred. Yeah. We're firmly into triple digits. Yeah. So. Yeah, right, right. And uh, I mean, we've, we've known each other forever. Leewanika and I, I'm Glenn, by the way, have known each other since we were like 13. And um, Leewanika met Josh before I did. I'll let him tell you when. And then I did a yeah. couple of years later. But I've known Josh for over a decade years. as well. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say yeah. pushing two at least. 20. Yeah. 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 I've known so, Leewanika for almost 30 years. So it's, yeah. yeah. I, uh, so I, like Glenn said, I met Glenn when we were in the Boy Scouts. So we were like 13 maybe a year or two after I started playing um, and we've played role-playing games together pretty much since the second Boy Scout camp out we were on or pretty close to it. Uh, yeah, it was dad, a big thing on our D and D camp outs periodically. Yeah. Yeah. His dad was our, was our scout master and DM for uh, D and D scout trips, but I meant scout trips. Yeah. Uh, they were the same thing for us. They like, there wasn't a scout trip where somebody didn't have some kind of dice with right. them or we weren't at least role-playing without the dice, something from one of our various games. Most of the scouts we were with played. Uh, many of them still play today. 
uh we actually had uh one of them uh was an editor on our on our latest book so uh you know we are we formed great friendships and have been very tight ever since uh met josh when i was just getting out of college josh was just going into college but we both met at a at a live action vampire larp uh i was role-playing somebody from south boston josh is from south boston i believe his <laughs> character yeah like shout out quincy you know so so um <laughs> but uh you know wallaston beach you know gotta get yep. some clams all, all the good stuff uh but uh josh picked up on both my accent and the level of detail i put into talking about it because with vampire you're playing generally speaking real world places so I was sprinkling into conversation real spots in Boston and on the South Shore. Josh, who's lived in the area, lived in the same town, uh, like picked up on the fact this 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 kid knows what he's talking about. He's not just we playing some, a crooked cop. So that he's was not also a big no. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> playing a crooked cop, you know. Hey, but uh, it, it worked, and so we connected on that level. We talked about all the places we 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 had seen and been together, and how we likely missed each other at various points and then we at that point also realized we had a large amount of common friends and we just started hanging out and then he came over for dinner some friday night and honestly has pretty much for 15 20 years never stopped coming over for dinner for dinner Uh, exactly (laughs) he was spleening at the time like we were really just trying to keep him alive it was like feed him and make him role play he can't expend too many calories that way so that's that's kind of how we got together (laughs) Sarah, you sound like you had a question. I just wanted to ask uh, how they met and how they got in D and D, and they answered it. it was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we will tell that story to anybody that will listen, and, and twenty people that won't. So that, yeah, that, for, yeah, for when we got into how I got into D and D, my dad, who was the game master at those campouts for the beginning, ran my first game when I was eight with my mom and my sister, which was pretty cool. Out of the amazing. original starter set. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And one of the uh, greatest things before uh, Glenn's dad passed uh, earlier this year was uh, we spent a good portion of time about two years ago uh, before right. the right before the pandemic. Uh, Glenn was running a family game, and so I got to sit shoulder to shoulder with the guy who was my scoutmaster, my DM yeah. guy. I even called dad for all those years and play, and he played the greatest dwarf ever. Like to the point where sometimes it's like. Dwarves aren't quite dwarvy enough unless it's senior playing them. So that you know, that was, yeah, that, was that was a good time bringing my dad to my table. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a good family game. It was Glenn, his wife, um, all of his all of his kids. Three of, three of my four children. Three of his four yeah. children. One of my six children. Uh, his dad and we just had an absolute blast. That game was so fun. One of my best characters too. That sounds awesome. Well, I, I know all of us, I'm I'm guessing based on when you started, uh, that you, like us, started pen and paper, right? Uh, oh, and yes. then you've since moved digitally, at least for the actual play podcast portion. Are you guys playing like D&D Beyond or other digital methods when you're running your games? Yeah, we use a lot of D and D Beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, especially with our with our actual play stuff. Um, all all the characters, the NPCs, and everything like that, they're all in D and D Beyond. And uh, we use D and D Beyond. We also have a whole a whole series of shows called Class Warfare episodes, which are right. basically the three of us roll up uh, tunes in the same class and then uh, bring somebody on to go ahead and 
throw bad guys at us uh, and uh, send, and see who wins. But all those are right. up on D and D Beyond also. But uh, yeah, I mean, like D and D Beyond has been a critical tool uh, for us to go ahead and do what we do. Yeah, yeah for v, for VV, for VTTs, I've used Roll Twenty. Um, at the moment, we think we like Owlbear the best. Yep. It's very, very, yep. very low tech. Yep. It gives you the map and that table so you can cover the, the visual representation like you're at a table. But you don't have to literally be able to program in order to be able yeah. to set up yeah. its I, features because it doesn't yeah. have that. It's yeah. just basic. I am a, a neophyte when it comes to computers. Actually, that's probably underselling myself a little bit. I'm actually not too, I'm not great. I'll say that. Um, He's come a long way. He very much undersells himself, but he but, was, he, he was a, a curmudgeonly, uh, anachronistic. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this about Albert versus some of the other tools. I love some of the things that they do. I played at roll 20 tables. There's some amazing things it does with fog of war. That's really brilliant. Uh, some of the, some of the macros that other people have built, I've been able to use to great effect and enjoyed them gr- greatly. Um, I don't do macros. You should not see what Marty's a... learning to do. I mean, he's, I... he's taking roll 20 apart. He's learning it. Yeah. Uh, that's just not my skill set. Owlbear Rodeo is more for those of us who are up quick and on the fly. If I want to run a game that's really fast, I'm going to go to Owlbear because I don't need to do it. I literally load a map. I have a stock set of tokens. I spend way too much time in that rabbit hole called Pinterest <laughs> picking tokens uh, Josh found me a token creator, so now I'm out going through immeasurable numbers of pictures and file photos to build tokens that are more custom to the characters. Um, my players love um, Hero Forge, so they'll they'll get tokens from there, just the pictures, or they'll buy them, uh, so they they have them that way as well. And I will absolutely just use those. So I have a whole bunch of tokens. I, I'm always looking for stock stuff. I'm always looking for stock maps. I'm a Patreon subscriber to like five or six different map uh, content creators. Um, and uh, I get daily emails with maps. I get Reddit. I'm in Reddit with maps. Uh, and I'm always putting stuff up there. And I'm like, I it's so jazz is my creative process. But I don't have to do any of the labor. It's literally click, save, you know, uh, upload, done. And the token, uh, it works really well. And there's deeper, there are some deeper features. Yeah. I've actually been figuring them out a little at a time and learning them. I just learned how to make something a mount so you can attach a character to it. So when you move the mount, the character goes with it. It's freaking awesome. Right. Uh, those are the kinds of things I love, and it's fast. My players p- pick up on it. I give them a link. They can move their own stuff, and I can still hide the stuff I don't want them to see. So that's everything a DM really needs without any of the back-of-the-house work. Yeah, that's fair. We're we're kind of obsessed with Dungeon Alchemist right now, which is the it's the mm. AI engine where you like draw you like draw a square and it and it populates the room yeah. and everything. Mm. And mm. I was really not I, I didn't want to go down the macro rabbit hole because we are again all do it ourselves in this house. We're very like, well, I mean, if I could do that, like what else could I do? And I like I just didn't need to go down that rabbit hole. But uh, Dungeon Alchemist has like a really easy macro that you just like you attach it to Roll Twenty. It's like built in, uh, mm. and then uh, you can hit export, and then you just like drop a text file that the program gives you and it resizes the map and sets up all the dynamic lighting and like does the lighting for you yeah yeah it's it's pretty cool uh Mm -hmm. because otherwise i really wouldn't dabble with macros i have accidentally filled our rule 20 chat with like i mean nonsense before (laughs) i've done it a bunch of times like more than i care to admit so i'm wondering though when we talk about the difference between pen and paper and digital obviously you know our current 
the climate right now doesn't allow for uh, in-person games as readily. But uh, are there things that you miss about pen and paper or things that you just can't live without in the digital sphere? Oh, man. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll start there. So yeah. I, I am. So in a little bit of maybe, I don't know, maybe this won't be weird, but like for somebody that lives my life pretty much digitally, like I, I'm a software developer, I, I, I am online all the time, every day. I much prefer in-person games over online games. In fact, I did not like online games for a long time. It's only been really since we started doing the actual play that I've kind of realized uh, kind of how uh kind of by necessity how to make virtual games work you know but i mean i've been in games that were um that were in person before uh before the pandemic and then had to go virtual when the pandemic started and that fell apart within a couple of months because it's just the dynamic just wasn't the same it it takes it takes a much more immersive game style to make a uh a, a virtual game work right because you don't have that kind of face-to-face interaction, right? You don't have the ability to kind of look across the table and crack a joke, you know, with the guy across the table or whatever, the, or the other person across the table or whatever. And so it really, it, I think that for me anyway, what I have found is that I can make it work by making the game more immersive, by making the game more collaborative, by making, you know, by kind of really making sure that I'm, I'm drawing those players into, into the game uh, to kind of replace that sort of, uh, um, the experience of being kind of, kind of one-on-one at the same table. But I, I still, you know, as soon as I was able to, I started my own game uh, and it, it ran uh, in physical space uh, as opposed to virtually. Um, in fact, we talked about switching virtually uh, because we haven't been able to play it in a couple of months. Um, and the the, pull, the pushback from the players is like, absolutely not. They want to be back in the in the physical space with everything. So, you know, so uh, so we're gonna keep we're gonna keep uh, doing that when we can. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a challenge. It's absolutely a challenge. Absolutely. So. I mean, I look forward to when I get to play in the physical space again. Because uh, I haven't in quite a long time, yeah. and it's different online. It's fun, don't get me wrong. Uh, but there's kind of two schools of thought. One is you get just enough tools to make it function and keep it more theater of the mind-ish, like table was, which is what we're talking about. We're running with a more low-tech VTT, or you can go with a more high-tech VTT. Work in all of the macros, however you do them. Dungeon Alchemist sounds fantastic. I'm going to have to yeah. look into it. Um, and that brings it into kind of more, and this, I think this helps bring in some of the newer, younger players because it makes it kind of more like an online role-playing game. It brings it more into the video game sphere by adding more of those tech tools. And both are a lot of fun. I mean, they really are. But you lose something not being at the table. You lose, you lose body language. You lose uh, as much tone of voice. Crosstalk over any platform gets confusing. But at a table, it can be handled much more... Well, eloquently, with, I with guess. Our, ears do, our, our ears do better than these things do at projecting it back, right? Yeah. So you'll lose a lot when you're playing at the uh, playing it virtually, but you get a lot too with all of the reach that you have, and you can you can play with anybody in the world. I mean, I'm playing in games with when we did our Against the Dark Master playtest. We were uh, playing with a company in a game that's made out of based out of Italy. You know, when we play with Danella, we're playing with somebody from the UK. Uh, like global games are possible now. So yeah. there's not really a which one would I prefer. They're both great. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah, I, I think uh, the body language thing is probably one of the three things I miss the most about in-person gaming. Because, you know, if there's something going on and you need to grab somebody's attention, you know, a finger wave while you're having an in-character conversation covers that ground does not work on virtually at all unless you happen to catch the person at the moment they see you do it 
and then everybody catches. But everybody it. else so every- sees it too, and they're like, "Why and, is he gesturing at me like that?" Yeah, like what's what's this, you know? And then heaven help you if you're like, uh, you know, in England and you give them one of these or something. And they're talking, that's, that's bad form, Lewanika, bad form. You know, so, uh, you know, you miss some of the body language things. Uh, right. One of the things I really miss, especially because we used to do it at, Glenn, at Glenn's house, is dinner. Right. Eating while you game. We used oh, to do it for our LARPs where we'd uh, have, like, we're going to have an actual in-game session where all our characters get together, but we would put on this huge meal. There'd be, like, 12, 14 of us. Everybody bring something. We put on this great meal. We have mm-hmm. some, like, amazing stuff, yeah. you know. Bribe friends your DM with a bottle of Or whatever. Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, all I miss that part of it, and I miss the we're finished playing, but we still have some time for, uh, you know, for chatting and stuff like that. Online, you can do all that. Like on many of my on my Monday night game, I'm very frequently it ends around eleven o'clock at night. I'm very frequently on the line with at least one or two of my players till one or two in the morning, just yapping about life and things like that. But what virtual gaming gives us that the tabletop game can't give us, at least me anymore, is the ability to reconnect with the people I grew up gaming with. Um, totally. You know, Josh right. is in Maine. Glenn and I, we live fairly close. We're about 35 minutes away. Uh, we're in Connecticut. Uh, that other friend that I mentioned that edited our book, he's in North Carolina, North Carolina or South Carolina, North Carolina, I think. Uh, you know, uh, I get to game with him a couple times a month now. Uh, I couldn't do that. We would never, we would never right. be able to sit at a table and game again. Uh, in fact, it had been nearly. 25 years since I sat at a table or did any kind of role playing with, with, uh, with Marty, uh, that that's a challenge for me. Uh, I got back during when the pandemic first started, I had time off because you know, like the world had time off. So I got into a whole bunch of games virtually, but I got into games with a bunch of people that I hadn't gamed with in 20 years. And I'm still in one of those games that streams, uh, uh, every month, uh, streams of Spira with Benito Sinese and um, Spectre yeah, Studios. Glenn's in that one. Uh, I would never have had that opportunity were it not for the virtual game. Um, and right. I don't ever want to stop playing with those with the, with that crew either. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, virtual uh, is never going away for us because it, oh, yeah. it just yeah. lets us yeah. reach yeah. too many people. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the players in my Monday night game, uh, I met at a virtual convention because the convention that I mm-hmm. used to go to. That's live for the first time this month. I'm going back there uh, later this month uh, was the very first virtual one they did. And so I had not met any of them, even though similarly, we're all in the same nerd circle. So I act, we have a lot of mutual friends. They sat and played at, uh, played at my virtual table. Uh, a few things happened. We didn't quite finish the adventure in that first night. Uh, nearly had a TPK on the first roll of the dice. Uh <laughs> craziness oh, been there. <laughs> um craziness took out like three quarters of the party uh had to do some uh, dm theatrics and uh uh acrobatics to kind of pull back from that situation <laughs> uh and then when we and then we made arrangements to meet a couple weeks later we met a couple weeks later brought glenn his wife at the time in uh and his nephew uh in uh to the game to beef up the party a little bit because they needed it and uh and still running game, that game is still running strong. It's 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 amazing, and though the people in that group, we are now very good friends. Right. Uh, we've gone out a couple times, had drinks, karaoke, 
at, at a local burger place. Um, you know, they've come to my annual uh, end of summer party that we put together, bounce houses and food, and I make all kinds of good food. Uh, you know, so it's virtual is allowing us to connect in ways that we couldn't when it was just a table. Right. Add to that. Like I said, I got six kids. I have four grandkids. I have a full-time day job. Uh, you know, getting places is hard. And uh, the world is spread out more than it used to be, I think. And our friends, friend groups are spread out more. Uh, you know, so schedules are diffi- difficult. Uh, I would never be the able to game moved, on But I think the distance between each point actually stayed the same. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, maybe I say maybe at the cost of gas, it feels like it's a lot further. I'm not going to get politics on it. I'm going to b- back off that comment. Though. <laughs> <and> repost. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say that uh, it would be impossible for me to game any weeknight because I don't get out of work until 730. I physically work and out live an hour away from where I work. So I'm not home until 830 or nine o'clock most evenings. Um, so that's it. Weeknights are out. That leaves two days on a weekend. I have the, a family, so I can't game both of those days. I would be gaming once or twice a month. That's it. I am currently yeah. running two, though I'm taking about a, a month and a half hiatus uh, uh, for because I'm getting ready to move. Uh, but I am currently um, running two full-time games every other week. I am, along with the three of us, we run uh, actual play games with our patrons. Uh, mm-hmm. So at least once every other month or so, I'm running a game there. Uh, I play in a live stream once a month. Uh, I do. Uh, I have done some virtual events. I've got a co- convention coming up this month as well. My The volume and, as you know, podcasts, a lot of work, um, <laughs> a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, if you want, this is easy. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> Look, this takes no time. Like, just because we uh, it's an hour on air doesn't mean it took us like two hours to get everything together. That never happens. It's really just an hour. Um, yeah, that busy schedule. I mean, VTTs are the, and virtual yeah. plays the only way to bring it back in, yeah. right? To bring yep. it into your life. Yeah. So yeah. I love gaming. It is my decompress. When I have a very stressful day, I'm hating the day job or I'm really stressed about whatever's going on. It is both a form of escapism and catharsis all at the same time. And so I need the virtual there. Do I want a live game? Yes. I would love to get back to at least one regular live game because I miss that. But I would still be playing all the virtual games I I have now. So, Well, we're very excited uh, for your new book. You're talking about being so busy and I don't know how you had the time to write (laughs) The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it or why you decided after playing yeah. all the time, why you decided to make your own? Oh, um, man. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, that's a great question. Uh, uh, why did we decide to go ahead and write this book? So that's so <laughs> I don't think anybody's asked us why. That's yeah, I got no. an answer, though. Why? Yeah, I, I, have an answer. Answer. I have an answer. I have an answer. So. uh Man, starting probably back in November or December of last year, you know, we'd kind of dabbled in the content creation space a little bit. We'd done a, a couple of sm- smaller projects here, um, and we realized like this is really what we wanted to do, right? This is we get the chance in the podcast to go ahead and talk about awesome people 
who have done their awesome thing and we get to bring them in and talk to them and, and geek out about that all the time. Uh, and I think that after, after doing that for about a year and a half or so, we were like, you know what, what if, what if we did the awesome thing, right? Like right. what if, what if we did the awesome thing? Wouldn't that be cool? And, uh, you know, we, uh, we had at that point, we didn't really know exactly what the book was going to be. Kind of all three of us just kind of went off into our separate corners and then just wrote, bunches of random things like we wrote some creatures we wrote some magic items we, wrote, we didn't even really know what the book was going to be it was just kind of like write what you feel like writing and then throw it into a google drive and we'll figure that out later <laughs> and then of course over the course of the next couple months we kind of got winds of spell jammer and everything like that and we're like oh you know what what would be great what well, you know all we have like two-thirds of this stuff all kind of has to do with like extra planar or extra timer timer extra timer, timer? whatever yeah timey wimey timer? is that even a <laughs> exactly, word yeah. timular it is extra timular yeah <laughs> let's go normally Lee Monique is the one that invents words on the show I guess that's my job tonight so yeah um you know but uh but yeah so we kind of realized that there was there was a theme and so the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse was was born from that and and you know we had probably a good half of the content written at that point just kind of based on our pre-work and then kind of filled in filled in the gaps from there uh yeah. probably right up the until... stuff that really fit and then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. through through several brutal rounds of cuts i will add <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know and then probably right up until uh, the day before the pdf was fi- was finalized uh we were still writing material <laughs> so that's uh, you know yeah and catching errors yep. yeah <laughs> so and they'll still errors. find them because you know every published work has them. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah so the so spell jammer this was intentional not just like some incredible coincidence we had uh, heard enough to, to have suspicions. I mean, yeah. Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse had been announced. Uh, the Spelljammer UA, when the GIF slash GIF, depending on whether or not you're me or Josh, uh, was reannounced. Um, and just watching the UAs and the things that Wizards yeah. has been talking about and putting out, yeah, we were pretty sure. So we made yeah. sure to include, since we're going multiversal, there's two ways to access that. Yeah. Through the planes, and I don't think we're going to get a Planescape book anytime soon. And through Spelljammer, so yeah, there's like yeah. three backgrounds in there that are Spelljammer specific, and yeah, yeah, and and once we knew with with Borden Keaton's Monsters of the Multiverse, once we knew that that was going to be like a a race and creature centric book, yeah. we decided very intentionally to go ahead and write a book that would could be used with that that had everything else so it's like you could pick a race from from morton kane's book and add your background your feet see the only thing we didn't do in this one was subclasses right um and that was kind of intentional but um you know uh yeah you know like that that's that was very much by design we we, we like glenn said we knew we knew enough that it was coming and we knew if nothing else that the morton kane's book was out it's like okay well that's monsters of the multiverse what else can we write to go ahead and make make those round make those you know make them make them more than just uh kind of races and everything like that and then it kind of have to go back to like the normal D trope stuff to go ahead and uh, and build out your character so we decided to go ahead and design a whole bunch of multiverse specific stuff to add on to those races so right and uh, don't get me wrong there was still a little bit of luck involved i mean they announced spell jammer like boop as our book came yeah. out yeah yeah, yeah yeah so that was pretty perfect amazing yeah. it was like oh the the clouds parted and the light shone down <laughs> on you three like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. that was amazing well, I, I mean, we have been at this uh, role playing for a long time. We've been in this podcast space for a couple, uh, just a, just a year and a half, uh, getting towards the end of our second year here. Um, but in addition to that, we have all at various points in our lives done very creative endeavors. Uh, Glenn is a published ri- uh, writer, uh, author. 
Uh, I have had poems published years and years ago when I was in high school and, and whatnot. Me too. Uh, I I also ha- uh, had two published, uh, I scripted two comic books that were published when I was uh, in my early 20s. I owned a comic book store, so I was kind of in that world. And for a long time, my goal was to be a writer. Like, that was kind of my overall goal. Since I was uh, in kindergarten. Yeah, life required me to eat and have heat and hot water. <laughs> So that really slowed me down because while something else, the internet has changed. You you don't have to be a starving artist or a starving author anymore. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Continually. Yeah. It's so much easier to pursue anymore. as a side gig now. Yeah. And, and so uh, for a lot of years, the thing I wanted to do was be creative. The jobs I had to take to get by and get through life were not. And I felt really boxed in by work. Like I, I'm not saying uh, like I diss my nine to five a lot. I, that's probably a, a bad image to portray. I get it. I do it. It's it's just not where I get draw my joy and my happiness. It's what I do to get by. My joy and my happiness came from role playing. It came from my family. It came from doing creative things. Josh and I were in a band for a long time. We wrote songs together. We we performed in garages and living rooms. We never did big gigs. Occasionally, because I have lots of friends in music, I would get on stage at an actual concert and be able to sing with them. Things like that are fun. I love karaoke. Creative endeavors jazz my life um so when we when we got the opportunity to do this and the podcast is is clearly our focus but content creation because we we have a message we have a a a purpose um content creation is a way to is another avenue to show that purpose and send out that message it's another media outlet we love narrative we love creative stories we like unique and different ways to bring out good stories. Um, I said the dragon I am typically chasing is that great role play scene where everybody's like, oh, that just happened. And so (laughs) if we can be a part of creating something that's a tool to get that feeling at one table, job well done. If we can get it at 10 tables, job well done. We're really hoping we can hit a couple hundred, a couple thousand. But what I'm saying is the idea is we just want to be part of that pro- that creative process, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And that's where content creation is the natural evolution beyond the content creation that is our podcast and our conversations. I'm going to totally steal a quote from friend of the show, uh, Jimmy Flowers of Splinterverse Media, and say that we want one thing in this book to be whoever picks it up. We want that one thing in this to be their favorite thing, right? Like right. that's that's really kind of the goal that we, you know write it write it for for the people out there that they they can go through here and say, oh, you know, this one thing is going to make my game better or make my next character legendary or whatever, right? Ooh, that, that's really what we're for. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I got to say, first of all, uh, my next campaign that I'm getting, I'm prepping uh, to run is all like naval based, but I wanted there to be the option to move into space. We've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I opened like, you know, opened the PDF that you sent over, you know, background number one, Cosmic Stowaway. And I read through it and went, oh, I already know what character this is going to be. So like that background is like in my in my next campaign. I'm like, I, I just got so excited about it. And I think a lot of the a lot of this content really resonated. Sarah and I talked a lot about how a lot of this content really resonated with us we really liked it uh i, I mean i i think it's really wonderful stuff great well, thank you so, very much yeah thank you're you. welcome Absolutely. so 
what I just heard you all say was that each of you said we should write a book and then you went separate directions and you each wrote one third of a book and then you came back together, stitched it up and then released it the day Spelljammer was released for like, that sounds yeah. incredible. But Pretty I want to know the real writing. Like what was your actual writing process? We're obsessed with storytelling. We love it. And I'd love to know, like, what was that process really like for you guys? So we started out with categories. Like Josh said, we were looking for, covering the bases that we knew wasn't going to be in Morden Cadence with creatures from a perspective of either uh, space travel or planar travel, travel being an operative word, which is why some of the items in there, I mean, we really, we went with it. You know, you've got uh, Kazats, no, Kazats is in the next book. Apologies. Spoiler alert. Uh, Whoa, I said cut that part out. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, Sprocket's Traveling Compendium is a book that holds other books. It's a Kendall, right? So we went with a lot of travel ideas. um, But we all separated and we had a list. It was we wanted magic items. We wanted mundane items. We wanted backgrounds. So we all just worked on writing those things. So it wasn't completely unfocused, right? Yeah. So we came back in and reviewed what we had for each of the categories that we wanted to put in the book and trimmed from there and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and play tested. For me personally, my process was once we had the categories, it was pretty easy. How many backgrounds do I think I could do well that fit the overall theme? Because at that point, by the time we had categories, we had an idea of what the theme was. It wasn't fully formed, but it was close enough where... I, I I wasn't trying to make an Imperial Stormtrooper, and I knew that, right? So I knew the kinds of things I was looking Next for. Time. <clears throat> yeah. Next time. Next uh, time. You know, uh, so I said, what are the backgrounds that, that I can come up with that would fit that? So I wrote a couple. Then it's like magic items. What are some of the magic items I'm using in my game or I have built that fit this theme? So I have my D&D Beyond with all my homebrew stuff that I've not shared with the world that I use at my tables. I've seen how they work, how they don't work. Uh, many of the uh, magic items were actually play tested at our own tables uh, over time. So a lot of the magic items I submitted were ones that had been used previously. Now, knowing how they play tested, I changed a lot about them as far as how they work, the mechanics that they work, then put that in, in, in the group and then moved on to the next topic. And we just kept going. And then uh, I would say the real hard part was not those categories. The hard part and the challenge was the story hooks. We come up with good mm. stories all the time. A polished story that appears on a printed page or a digital page for sale is different than some half-baked idea I wrote out on a napkin that I basically <laughs> run and fix on the fly at my next right. game. That's that is exactly different than I a hook. all my campaigns. Wait. <laughs> yeah. I love the napkin thing because that's how Joe Elliott wrote uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me, a great song. I love it. I'm an 80s kid Such all day long. Right? So I'm perfectly okay with starting something on a napkin, but I'm imagining at some point it had to get a little more involved than just the napkin. So, yeah. you know, this was taking it beyond the napkin. That That's kind of that's kind of where the... Yeah, that's all that's a sound bite for you um right. beyond the beyond the napkin. yeah beyond the napkin <laughs> uh but that's that's when the the hard work came on the stories because it was an idea and yeah. then it's how do you flush it out uh and and initially we were writing hooks that were just like one-liners or bullet points and we're like that's not good that's enough. lame <laughs> yeah. 
the people so we're writing it... the people we that we're writing for need more than that. We want to give the DM something that they can really sink their teeth in. We didn't want to give them everything. We wanted DMs right. to create stories. We wanted DMs to take an idea and say, I can run this as an adventure in my campaign. Yeah. We want or, to just make some scaffolding. I can yeah. take this and blow it up into a campaign. So we just kind of did that. And once we made that decision, the ideas flowed quickly. The process got better as we went. I am better at writing adventures now than I was when we started this book. That's, yep. th that's a fact. And it started with those plot hooks. And, you know, I, I always go back to um, the passenger. Uh, I, I, and I wrote a couple, a couple of them. The passenger was one that I so, so loved. It is the one that I've expanded. I've actually written a full adventure. It's still in, it's a little bit beyond napkin stage at this point. But uh, that is what I'm running at the convention later later this month. And I put the pitch out to uh, the Drinking and Dragons uh, folks. And it seems to be getting pretty good uh, reviews. Um, generally, my tables fill up in about 15 minutes when the, when the seats go on sale for that event. So I'm hoping that this one does that about, uh, about that well. That's kind of my goal. That's my, if, I can do, if I can sell out in, in 15 minutes, I feel really proud of what I did just for that drop. And then that puts the onus on me to deliver. So. You should be proud. That's incredible. That's, that's amazing. That's the dream. Like I would love that. So you were talking about like background and making all the magic items and the prompts for storytelling. What, what did you feel like was the most challenging to work on or to come up with? I mean, it could be fun, but also yeah. like challenging of all those of all of it in there. You know, uh, uh, so you will notice that. So uh, Glenn is a writer, and and Leonika is a writer, and and I'm an artist and a tech guy. You'll notice that the one kind of skill set we don't have on the crew here is layout. Like none of us knew how to like, like we we dabble with Adobe a little bit here and there, but like yeah. none of us have really like put arts, together, you know, yeah. right? Like none of us have like stitched together a book, and so um, that was boy that learning curve uh she's steep y'all like that's yeah. uh you know there was um and, you know yeah. and unforgiving <laughs> unforgiving yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, you know and so it's like yeah that was that was really tough because we just didn't have we just didn't know how to do it and but uh, you know it's also like when you kind of believe in the material enough and you know enough about the material and how it's supposed to stitch together, it got, it gets to the point that it was like, Oh, I know how I can make this work. I know how I can, you know, if I, you know, maybe this pair, maybe this is one paragraph too long. So if we tighten this up a little bit, I know it'll fit better on the page. And I, I know exactly kind of the art that I want to use for that now and everything like that. So, you know, like, yeah, the layout was tough and there was, there was a, we learned a lot doing this book. I mean, putting a book together, I will I will speak for my other co-hosts and say that putting a book together is probably harder than we thought that it was going to be when we started this Absolutely. journey in November. You know, uh, it's a uh, it's not just you can't just like wake up and do it. Like it actually takes like some forethought and some <laughs> some, some <time>. effort, <laughs> some late night planning meetings. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, consistency was a really big challenge too, yeah. um, because with three different authors writing magic items and backgrounds and each each category. Yeah, but on their own and isolation without having an established process yet for terminology or yep. you know the way we're going to phrase mechanics etc everybody's stuff did not match in yep. terms yeah. of how the mechanics were laid out the wording was used for feats yep. um so that was a big challenge too but it, it kind of ties into layout it's that that piece of that formatting that takes it from beyond the napkin to an actual published published work but that was whew, that was a lot that, <laughs> yeah <a> <laughs> I would say art direction was challenging, but amazing. Fun. 
Yeah, um, so it was so so much fun. Uh, at the time we got to uh, the bulk of the art direction on the book, we were coming close to our own self-imposed deadlines. Um, yeah. And so a bit more harried than I would have preferred. Um, but I think we got everything that we would have wanted. There's nothing that made the page that I am not 100% behind, with yeah. the exception of one bridge. Um, the, <laughs> the bridge. The, the bridge picture is perfect. It may not be exactly what you imagined, yeah. but, it's perfect. Yeah, but it's perfect. So that's a story hook I wrote and uh, uh, and I came up with. It was a lot of great polish from my, my, my companions here. Uh, it would not have been as good without them. Period. The Bridge to Enlightenment is the full title of the hook. Yeah. Uh, but when I was, that is one of those things that came to me in some kind of weird uh, fever dream. Not not literally a fever dream. I, I, I dream a lot. And there's times I wake up and I tend to have paper next to my bed. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can hopefully jot down enough details from a dream before I forget it so I can do something with it later. So it came to me in that kind of moment. I got up super early because I just I couldn't I didn't want to lose the idea. I left my bedroom, ran into the office, wrote the basics of it, then then promptly woke up about 20 minutes later with my head in the keyboard, went back to bed, got back up and then started working on it some more. Uh, but I had a vision that I never lost for that picture, and I could not find artwork that matched that vision anywhere. So that is one of those things that I uh, if we had had more time, with a budget uh, to pay custom and a budget that <laughs> yeah. it the perfect picture would have had to have been customized for that. Correct. The picture we got was exceptionally good. It actually matched everything I wrote about. It simply wasn't the direction I wanted you to be on the bridge looking across it. And all I was able to, but that's the exact bridge I, t I, I pictured. It was just from the, from the side looking yeah. onto the bridge versus the bridge off, the bridge yeah. looking across. So that that's, that's the one thing it was 100%. And honestly, I ended up at 98% with it. So I'm very pleased. But learning the types of things that are there, finding resources, um, subscribing to some services. So we have those resources for all the things we do, uh, you know, and making sure it's above boards. You know, we want to pay good content creators for the work they do. Uh, right. fair, fair wages is a, a real thing for us. Um, right. You know, and so we wanted to make sure we were able to do that. And uh, learning how that works was really good. That's a skill set I did not have before we started. It's a skill set I'm building on now. Now I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm 100%, but I would have never thought art direction would have been something I could have done. But I found out that I was able to contribute. Like there's things that were like, how does that fit? And then I could say, oh, if you did this thing over there, that would kind of work. And then, it was, yeah, that would work. You know, it felt good to be able to contribute in a space that I was I wasn't uh, an ex subject matter expert on. So you know, being honest, I got to say that our timeline was a complication too. I mean, <laughs> thinking about it, I mean, we talk about it now, yeah. and, we, and most of the time it just comes off as it all just came together. But our original timeline, because as as we've said a couple of times, and Josh covered very well, we we did not expect the amount of work that we were going to yeah. have. We didn't realize how hard it was going to be and how long it was going to take. Um, so our first set of dates that we threw out, whew, they were wrong. Saved by Watson <laughs> when they split yeah. Mordekainen's Guide to the Multiverse off into the subset and the second release because that bought us more time because not everybody yeah. was going to buy yeah. this one. Yeah. And if it weren't for that, it wouldn't be nearly as polished as it is. Yeah. Uh, no. So so if we, we, put we this definitely January, were saved a little bit by that delay. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, yeah. I will say this. 
our timeline would have been fine if this was our only job. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If if this was full time for us, that original timeline would have been fine because I think our total hours on project is, with the exception of extra time for art for art direction, because we had extra time at that point. Uh, I think our time, our hours on project were about what we had originally allotted for. We that's just right. left out like breathing air and yeah. walking about our families and yeah. our families it's just eating and sleeping and going to the bathroom. Like, I don't need that. I, yeah, cut it. Cut totally, it. Totally, totally extra. Yeah. I don't extra. understand what's the big deal. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you say that uh, you get ideas from dreams. We talk about this all the time. I am like a super vivid dreamer, and the, my best monsters, my best custom monsters, are like, "Whoa, that was terrifying!" Better write it down. And the mouse was on his stomach. All right, here we go. Uh, like, yeah. <sighs> just like the best, the best stuff. So I, I, I totally identify with that. That's awesome. Uh, I just simply got to uh, like I can see like a building or like I'm in a mall. I'm like, this would be a great place for an action sequence. I could see somebody coming down here doing this thing. So uh, that's just how I, I think very spatially that way. And uh, so, which is why many of my encounters are involve lots of terrain and distances and uh, elevations and things like that, because that's, that's what makes it interesting and fun for me. That's Morgan. And I have talked about that too, about like, we're coming up with a one shot, what inspires us for that one shot. And she, you were saying maps, right, Morgan? Like you I see the map. So and like you, like you're saying, Luanika, yeah, like yeah. the map or the location, like something I saw, whether it's the digital version or the in-person version is usually what inspires me to like, that's where the hook comes from for me almost mm-hmm. always. Yeah. Oh, no, mm-hmm. absolutely. I can look at a map and totally come up with a scenario to fit it. I mean, they're, they're, they're very narrative. And yeah. see, I'm the, like the opposite. The map is like the last thing I make. Like I come up with like, what's, yeah, like what's going to happen and who are like oh. the other NPCs or who's the, you know, monster yeah. or whatever. And then the map's like last. I'm the same I way. That way too. I want to figure it's out what I want to do. Sometimes I run into the map. Yeah. 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 I, it, if I'm playing something brand new, it's usually something very visual that helps me create it. So like for, like, uh, for the passenger, I just love the idea of the lightning train, the lightning rails in Eberron. Uh, yeah. so I had never seen a lightning train map, but I have seen tons of, of old Westerns, you know, train robberies, things like that. And one of my favorite books and multiple movies, multiple TV shows, different ways it's been done is murder on the Orient express. So I've always visually wanted some kind of conflict on that. It's to me, the only saving grace of under siege two was I like the idea of putting it on a train, even though the movie did it badly. (laughs) How could it not? Put it on a train, it levels up whatever. Yeah, you're it, to yeah, do, you know, right? Snowpiercer, you know, they're all yeah, there. Not really yeah. an under siege too. However, gosh, Snowpiercer was... still can't kill Sean Bean, so I don't even understand <laughs> like what's happening. They're clearly not good at taking out people on that show. But <laughs> well, why you do, jumped why, to a better movie you... the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my issue with Sean Bean. Why don't his names rhyme? Like it should be Sean Bond or yeah. Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it seems so it seems so obvious like who whose pr person is overlooking it's right this there. Right? Yeah, it's, it's right there <laughs> yeah. yeah um I, I imagine he probably said no and then they saw some of his fight sequences in golden eye and said even though he lost that one i don't want to get hit by that dude no that's <laughs> fair that's fair yeah he, he's yeah. not a small dude you know right. I, True, yeah. I saw the way he swung the sword in Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, that's, that's yeah he's yeah. got some grit. Like, the only way you're taking him out is by, you know, sucker punching him and then sneaking up on him and making him think yeah, yeah. it's going to be okay. Uh, yeah. You know, but. <laughs> so, in regards to 
the book you wrote and yeah. with Spelljammer and everything. What kind of players do you think would most enjoy this or who who what DMs would um you think get the most out of your out of your book? I would say I, I'm going to take the DMs and the storytellers out for, first, uh, and then I'll let the uh, the other guys uh, chime in. I would say it's the storyteller who has never been entirely satisfied with what comes in a book to begin with. It's the storyteller who says, this is cool, but I need to bring it up a level, right? Yeah. There's something it's missing. Like, look, when we wrote our crew serve weapons, ballistas and catapults, they're in, they're in the primary game. They're there. They're just blah. Like there's nothing yeah. exciting about them. And right. there's nothing They're about like... them in the, in the game that makes you feel like uh, using these items in a television show. And what we did was create rules to give that cinematic feeling to it. But we also had to find rules. And this is where the, this is where the work came in that were not so complicated. There are plenty of games that can mirror a cinematic system, but they can be very complicated. That's not, at one, that doesn't match what 5e is. And two, most people won't use it. So we want the right. DM who's looking for a, a, a streamlined method, easy to teach their players, fun at the table, quick at the table, doesn't bog things down, but wants things to be a little more involved. You know, yeah. if my people are defending a castle and they're under siege, I want them to be on the ramparts doing something other than frying an arrow. I want them to be commanding a unit. I want them to go back. So it goes back to some of that three, five stuff where it's like you have followers or you're marshalling troops of some kind. You know, we're not looking to make this Warhammer. Or we're not looking to make this uh, Necromunda or any of the other yeah. great, uh, you know, uh, t tactical games. But we are looking to give a better feel towards what people are doing. And I think that's yeah. the kind of storyteller that this book ap appeals to. Like, yeah, what's going to make a better story? What's going to make a more enjoyable story? What's going to really bring this out better? That's and we've got things for that in all of these categories and these plot hubs. Yeah, we're not trying to take the 64 color box and make it 128 colors. We're trying to take those 64 colors and make them more vibrant, make them more real, make them better. Right. Um, and that's really at the end of the day what we're trying to do. And I think that, you know, you asked about the players, too. I think the players that are going to love this book are the players that like coloring outside the lines a little bit. Right. That like it's kind of like what Lee Winika said, too, that like, you know, read the book and like, man, you know, if only if only this background did this instead. We're not looking for, you know, we didn't create like brand new classes. We didn't even create brand new subclasses or anything like that. We really kind of tried to go ahead and write new stuff that operates very much within the the D&D &D wheelhouse, right? We didn't want anything in the book to feel strange or out of place. And we really think that we accomplished that, that, that everything in the book fits neatly into the D&D realm and the D&D world and everything like that. So we're not, you know, that that's, I think, the kind of players that are going to to have the most fun with this. is like the ones that still enjoy the basic D&D rule system, but needed just a, a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, I think about the the um, the elemental nature feats, right? That we wrote four different feats for the four different elements, right? We did something that wizards did not do and have continued to not do, and that's we let you use physical stats as your spellcasting ability. Right. Um, and we we did that on purpose because we felt that it was most appropriate to go ahead and do it that way based on the feats that are in there, you know. Um, and so like those kinds of things you'll you'll find in this book. Yeah. 
and it's not just for i mean you got the player aspect you got the storyteller aspect but in terms of type of game um, you could find something in this book for any type of game that you're running just about yeah. now i mean we call it traveler's guide to the multiverse and we've talked a lot about Spelljammer and place planescape you know and the multiverse in general but if you're a dm out there or a player who's playing in just a world you don't do a whole lot of planar travel and you don't do a whole, do anything in wild space that's okay you can play a cosmic stowaway who now is on this planet that could still yeah. be your background if your storyteller approves it you can be a um, sigil light bear one of my favorite backgrounds i loved writing that one yeah because um, i was really captivated when i was doing my research by sigil city of doors and, and planescape um but you're not in sigil anymore now you're for whatever reason in between you and your storyteller you come up with the narrative and the background that helps bring the character to life or why they're on this world and any of the magic items we have in there yeah. work for any world that you're on any world. Um, or, so it's or very, if you're in a low themed. magic world, if you're, yeah, if you're in a low magic world, the poultices of healing, if you need a healing option, that's not magical. That is distinctly right. not magical. Yep. Those can come across and with the crafting rules to go ahead and let your players know how to go ahead and find them and how to go ahead and make them on their own and everything like that. So they, they work over a short rest to help you help you heal without expending hit dice. Um, and so just trying to find ways to fit in all of those little niches, but it's all set up so you could import it into any game because, again, yeah. we like the home brewery and the customization. So we tried to make everything pretty much plug and play. Uh, I oh with all that i i go right back to the backgrounds and uh the mount bank which was so fun to write so fun to find it's an the amazing right, background so fun to find the right picture if you're looking for that han solo type character or you're looking for that um and his name is now escaping me from uh from shadow and bone the guns the the gunslinger Jasper, thank you. Jasper, yeah. uh, if you're looking for that type of character who's always having that fun in that moment, but is a bit of a rascalian, uh, the Montpank is really the perfect background because the scoundrel. Yeah, the the charlatan. While it can work, it's not quite that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of good backgrounds, a lot of good backgrounds. I'm a big fan of them, but at a, at a certain point, there was a few things that I thought were kind of missing. So we're starting to write those in. The domestic, uh, the domestic ser ser service uh, backgrounds, same thing. I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey, uh, and I was in years past fan of uh, Upstairs, Downstairs. So I literally wrote a, a background, and we built in information for that, sh basically that show. I wanted, I wanted to be those characters. Uh, you know, I wanted somebody to say, I'm Branson, right? No matter what I'm doing now, I'm Branson. I was the chauffeur for this guy or for this family, but now I'm something different. And yeah. that's my background. Uh, and I think that that's awesome storytelling. There's a reason why they're on their second movie now, because it's awesome <laughs> storytelling. Uh, and, you know, and so that's the kind of thing that we wanted to bring, bring to the marketplace, what we wanted to bring to the tables that are out there. Well, there's a lot of content in the book, uh, that, and we want to drill down into all of it. Uh, so to try to like kind of hone us a little bit to keep us focused, we were thinking we would do a really quick little roll down. 
it. do you guys have dice um do we have be- dice? always do, okay <laughs> some you know the yes right. perfect pick, pick okay color. good pick, so pick then me color. saying yeah. i would love 6d10 someone to roll a 6 6d10 um to help us choose a page number and then we're gonna jump in on this page and and maybe have you tell us a little bit more in depth about what content we land on yeah so if everyone yeah. just rolls 2d10 that'll... yeah that's okay. math right that, that math? is math that math is hard, hard. jinx right. what the hell is my other d10 damn <laughs> i actually keep like a like a like a classic like old school calculator uh <laughs> just like at my desk all the time now because we're always doing this is why i never play a barbarian that's too much math <laughs> right my no. player did, did took i play a battle uh uh a battle master and my barbarian player who's now at like 15th, 14th, almost 15th level. He did, did the same thing. We basically took like a weekend uh, and we built a basic sheets that had everything lined out with all the different permutations that we could do and have it all laid out what our dice would be for it. So we, so we don't have to think about it anymore because it, a- it's hard. <laughs> we built a bunch of that in our one of our campaigns that we run. Uh, the barbarian was really struggling because he's a um, uh, radiant uh, zealot. Asmar. He's a zealot barbarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's and, a it, zealot it, barbarian yeah. and an Asmar. Yeah. And so we end up with all of these like funky little the he's got the light and it's doing radiant damage and then also he's doing you know he's raging so he's doing a little extra something something and it got so hard so we ended up making um i can't take credit for this the dm of that game who is my husband uh made him a bunch of custom actions in dnd beyond that like yeah. pump out all the dice that he needs so it's like first attack you get this bonus you know radiant consumption you get this bonus and like and it just like rattles through all of it because it's like so hard to keep track of all that stuff yep. you would need nice. like a, you need like a notebook and like i've heard um abria Iyengar makes um flow charts for some of the players uh <laughs> so that you can see like what you know if this then this and this is what you can do during combat because it's when you get higher level you have so many abilities it's so hard to keep track i yes. am constantly forgetting combat as, sheet. Uh, as a yeah. battle master so and it fits narratively because uh, he's a tactician. So I have it. And then in game, we talk about how we role play. I'm practicing during downtime and things like that. And I'm, I'm sh- I share my sheet with the players who I practice with. And our storyteller is amazing. So he will frequently, if I talk about specifically what I'm practicing for for the next fight, he will frequently give us a one fight bonus to something that's taking place. So like I did this one tactic that would work. He's like, okay, so during this next fight, you now get advantage on X action because cool. you practice it for this. So it's like it, mm-hmm. very much like in the military, you train for that specific mission. You get better at that one thing. And then the next mission you train for something else. So it, it's kind of, it, I, I love that aspect of it, it, but it does take a lot of effort and planning to get, to get right. Right. All right. Okay. Did, so let's roll. Yet? <laughs> let's get All our right. 2d10 each and then see where we All land. Right. Alrighty, I've got a three and a four. I've got a nine and an eight. I've got an eight and a seven. Okay, so we've landed at thirty-nine. So I'm gonna hop over to Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse and grab page thirty-nine. Uh, Quelton Tell is that the? Quelton am I saying Tell. that correctly? Oh, yeah. Uh, this image is gorgeous. Tell us a little bit yeah. about this artifact. 
Okay, so, so we're in the magic item section, right? Yep. Yeah, we are in the magic okay. item section. So let, let us. Uh, uh, so first of all, I will, Luminika, I will, I will cast it to you in a moment here. But let me let me begin with the Umbral Force weapons in general. Uh, so yes, Carlton tells us of, of a family of weapons called Umbral Force weapons, which are magical weapons created by a family of Shatter Kai, uh, and there is a ton of lore. Uh, both in in this book and maybe in projects to come about this uh, uh, family. about this fam- this family of Shatter Kai and uh, how they how they derived their power and how they unlocked the secret of Umbral Force and basically what an Umbral Force weapon is it is a it is a melee weapon that has a ranged component so uh, you know it is a it is a sword uh, that instead of ty- uh, instead of striking the person in front of you can strike. Uh, you can do certain things to go ahead and have it strike somebody thirty feet away and stuff like that. So, um, which bring which brings us to the uh, brings us to the garot, Cotland Tell. Yeah. So, Josh brought this general idea to the table and came with this amazing story for how this again was how it took to the face, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I loved it, and it immediately made me think of. But what about the family member that didn't? get counted yeah the black sheep and i started thinking about uh the weapons themselves this was not a necessarily nice family that was building these weapons to begin with Uh, but (laughs) if there was a member of that family that even those members of the family were like uh not so much um that's kind of where i i was going and i love the shatter kai uh, I played at an Adventure League table years ago, and there was a person who played Shatter Kai. I love the way he brought that to the table. He was at my table, part of one of my games for a long, for many years. Um, still a good friend. We're in a cosplay uh, group together. Um, he, and it made me think. I want a Shatter. I, I want a Shatter Kai, but I want him to be the evilest of the evil. Like I wanted this to be the character that no DM lets me play, but I can always use as a villain when I'm running a table and I said, what's the kind of weapon that an assassin would use that was so vicious and so mean uh, that, and I like, it's a garage. I mean, it's a very personal thing when you're, you know, doing this, strangling somebody. I don't want to come across. I'm not a psychopath. I promise you, but I love stories about (laughs) bad people. You're describing a weapon. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a great evil character. Good, good foundation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so the idea was, well, what about how do I get this? Like uh, the other weapons are very easy to describe with that umbral force. But I'm like, but I want this guy to be a cast off. And so I said, well, if I'm talking about cast offs, that's exactly what it's going to be. This is going to be made of. So that's when I built in the story of how it was formed, the cast off from the forging of the other artifacts in this section. Uh, This family member snuck in when everybody else was done worked those cast-offs into this garot, but because he was so not liked by the family and he had so much hatred, this does something far different. So it's outside of the triptych uh, of Umbral Force artifacts themselves, but it is on that same power level. Um, her. Or, I'm sorry, her. And uh, it, and so it was one of those uh, stories that just wrote itself based on the story that was brought to me, brought to the table. Uh, and I loved it. it. It got a great write up. The artwork that goes with it is not actually of the weapon specifically, but the artwork really made me think of that realm and it made me think of that gloom, uh, while still being colorful and, and beautiful. 
Uh, so that's kind of where it came from. And I, I love that weapon. It's a Garot that does some very nasty things. And it is an artifact. It is not a low-tier item. This is, you know, this this is one of those things that if, if a player get, gets hold of this, um, they're going to be in a very high tier. So you don't want to put this on with a uh, an NPC at lower tiers. You don't even want to show them what this is doing at tier one or tier two. This is you show them what's going on, and, and this is the thing they can't get hold of in tier three, but this is a good tier four weapon. Uh, this is a straight-up one-shot or one-shot killer uh, for anything under tier two or tier two and under it, it'll it, it could legitimately one shot people amazing this looks so cool i'm really this is, <laughs> i'm obsessed with the concept of this character i think that's really incredible and i i we talk a lot in our house about like i want a villain that is clearly defined as a villain this is very clearly an evil like you know when you can outline it like that and say like now we know in this this one doesn't have to be gray area now we know yeah that's that's a bad gal yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's just the lore behind her weapon yeah yeah amazing <laughs> yeah and there's yeah. there's more story for that to come that's kind of you know spoiler yeah. alerts we have future things in mind this is not this is where this begins not where this story ends yeah exclusive also, scoop guys yeah. we've got <laughs> an, a, other stuff coming you heard it here yeah. first i guess yeah, and, and I'm also I'm I, I'm also really glad that you you pointed out the art on the page too. I mean, so uh, we, Luanika had had uh, kind of made a nod to this earlier. One of the things that we are most proud about with this book is how how we were able to find art that fit everything that we wanted in here you know um you know thank you uh thank you to deposit photos uh which is a subscription service um uh where we find a lot of the stuff um you know but even things like pixabay and stuff like that you know we were able to find find the images that uh that we were all really proud of uh, and that's one of the things that we really was very much a focus of the book um and so i'm i'm really glad that uh that kind of the first thing you saw when you was like oh man that image is fantastic you know that's yeah. it's a wow factor yeah. for sure yeah all the images are great I've, I've loved looking through all of the pictures. Yeah. Just, it's the book amazing. is gorgeous, yeah. just entirely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're at 36, so we're up just two pages from that. So between the Planar Talisman, the Sprocket's Traveling Compendium, and the Repelling Ring of the Raven, which Ooh. of those would you like to talk about? Okay, so Sprocket's Traveling Compendium is one of the things that I uh, created while we were going with, I mean, when this whole project first started, I was like, man, how do I even crack this nut, right? And I kept asking for help. And Josh finally said, well, think of travel-related items and modify from there. And that's how we really went down the road of a Kendola portable charger, um, which is the Azerite power crystals, uh, things like that. Uh, FaceTime devices, the interplanar, dream crystal interplanar mirrors. But travels, Sprocket's traveling compendium is a Kendall, effectively. Uh, it's a book that holds other books because Sprocket is a tinker gnome who loves books and our actual play where he was first debuted, he actually does not participate in a fight and instead tries to defend the books of the bookswarm. Um, diving through <laughs> it and tackling them out of the bookswarm to make sure that they're not damaged. Um, but it can be a huge amount of fun. Uh, and he has been studying extra dimensional spaces. So what better way to combine a magic item and an NPC that I love so much that I'm going to develop into a main NPC personality for a world than to give him a named magic item where he puts a whole bunch of books in another one. And it kind of works like a limited bag of holding. It holds 10 other volumes uh, and he, you can call them up at will, depending on what you want to read out of. And it keeps track of where you were last in each book. Um, and 
So there you go. I love it. That's awesome. It's really cool. That's really cool. I think I'm going to have to steal that. I think that's a fun we're gonna we're gonna be like um okay and uh no, not other ones. you know we're basically just running your module at this point um for a spoiler thing just for a future one you will also at some point get kazat's ever expanding field journal but oh. it's not it, it was cut from this one in order to put in another one that will it will match better uh, that's amazing i'm so excited well, I, I honestly think the two of us could chat with you guys forever. Like this, I'm having so much fun. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, as we wrap up a couple things, first of all, uh, I'm a, I'm a bit of a karaoke fan myself. So I think at some point we're going to need to get together for like an in-person game and some karaoke because that, that sounds so much fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if as an outro, maybe you could just give us like a, a super brief overview on that South Boston accent. Like I'm really, I really want to come back to, you know, I love voices. I love doing voices spot. and Boston is one that Sarah and I have talked about. And we just can't quite get to it. Could you give us some tips on a South That's Boston cheesy. accent? It's, it's oh, not man. Boston. You can't like drag out the vowel like that. No, no, no. So it's Boston. It's a Boston. very short, very, very, very snappy. You know, everyone keeps saying you pack the cat, the habit. Yeah, no, no, no. It's way too long. Way too long. You don't want to go ahead and do any of that shit. Stuff. Well, stuff. I almost I almost I almost dropped the naughty word. I can see my mother we, yelling at me for We swear here. a lot. You're totally fine. You're golden. <laughs> That's fine. So yeah, I hope it's okay I, to swear because I already did like well, four times, bro. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> she, look, she's 76 and I'm still scared of the shoes. Okay. Like I can they're flying out. Because they hurt. Just, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, yeah. they hurt. It's like <laughs> yeah. Lee Winigas <laughs> she's thrown her shoes at him before. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's come pretty close to the head. I'm good at ducking. That's the thing. I'm so, good at ducking. So like, yeah, get undercover. Get undercover quick. When people are throwing shoes at All me. Right. I know how to duck. I've been in lots of situations. Right. If you really want to hear the nice. Boston accent, if you really, want, I, I got the funniest story in the world. All right. So here we are. It's Thanksgiving dinner. Right. So I'm going home and I bring a, a a companion home for Thanksgiving dinner to meet my mother for the first time. Right. Now this companion grew up in a family where uh, uh, there the language was a lot looser around the house than it was around mine. Right. My, my mother. They weren't an Irish five. Catholic family. She, exactly. She's all a five foot two Irish Catholic through and through. Right. Okay. Yep. So, so anyway, so this, uh, this companion is in the kitchen. My mother's at the table. She's setting the table and my, my mother, she calls to my companion and says, you know, would you get me a fork and a spoon from the kitchen? Now you have to understand that when my mother says that, and she's in a hurry, it's, would you get me a fork and spoon? Now my companion thinking that, Oh, I'm in Josh's mother just swore at me yells from the kitchen just hold your fucking horses lorraine now my irish catholic <laughs> mother's face never changed and i i proceed to quench my asshole so tight for the rest of the evening that would that up I, your butthole. I i haven't fodded since okay so we're driving home and i was like what did you do and she's like, what? What do you mean? It's like, you swore at my mom. She's like, your mom swore at me first. And I'm like, no, she didn't. She asked you for your... Oh. Oh. I see oh, yeah. now. No. No. I see what, I see what happened there. All right. So, yeah. I've so. known Josh for close to 30 years. I call his mom. <laughs> 30 I, years. I, 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 I call his mom, mom. Ma. Yeah. And I tell you what, I swear a lot. <laughs> I doubt she has ever heard me swear. Yeah. Not one time. Has she ever heard me swear? <laughs> yeah, like, no, no. I would be like, because I value breathing. <laughs> so, and, and I love the fact that she loves me and yeah, yeah. I don't want her to be mad at me. That's what his job is for. 
I'm, I'm not trying to take up all of your airtime, but I got one more really funny story. And Lee Winnika's heard, Lee Winnika was here when this happened. So he knows that this isn't bullshit. So my father, God rest his soul, had diabetes, right? And so I remember one Christmas dinner, we're sitting there, Lee Winnika and his family were over for dinner. And there's 15 of us at the table, you know, again, big Irish Catholic family, right? Conversation goes quiet around the table. All of a sudden, my dad says, Why couldn't it be syphilis? Now, with no context, <laughs> with no nothing. <laughs> Right. Like no, like setup, no, yeah, like, you know, like, no idea, like where this is coming from. And my mother, without skipping a beat, not knowing what my dad is talking about, says, because you'd have a lot of explaining to do, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's my family, y'all. Nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> that and a Sam Adams, that'll get you through the night. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your stories and <laughs> module and your storytelling. I just think yeah. it's amazing. Um, yeah. We had so much fun uh, with you three tonight, and we uh, we hope to have you back again. I'm going to be really honest. Oh, please, absolutely. Like, we're, absolutely. This is a blast. Absolutely, uh, we'd be here, happy yeah. to. Yeah, and and we'd love to have you on our show, uh, Class Warfare. Having uh, you ladies join us for a couple of those every now and then would be great. Ooh. We have a lot. We have have a lot of. We have a lot of fun uh, with those episodes as well. So, we would be over the moon. Uh, I I will speak for you, Sarah, because I think (laughs) I think I know where you stand. Yes, (laughs) we would love to do that. That sounds amazing. We'll have to go ahead and put that together. Absolutely. So, can you tell everyone where they can find your book? Where they can find you? Sure. Uh, You mentioned a Patreon, I believe. Oh, we yeah. do, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. So we love yeah. our Patreons, first of all. The big thing with Patreons is that uh, the big benefit to being a Patreon of ours is that we do an actual play game uh, every month featuring our Patreon subscribers. Um, so, uh, you know, the other the other big thing is that they get early access to all of our episodes. Um, so the, the long and the short of it is that you can check out our show at www.ttjourneys.com or search Tabletop Journeys wherever you look wherever you listen to podcasts we're on every service out there we hope and if we're not on the service that you use please let us know and we will make sure to uh, to go ahead and get there um the best way to go ahead and get in touch with us is uh on twitter we are at tt journeys uh or you can email us at podcast at tt journeys.com and uh patreon is www.patreon.com slash tt journeys uh we also have uh a number of our titles uh, on DM's Guild, so you can get Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So we would recommend, because there's usually a coupon if you go through our website first, uh, we'd recommend that method first. Uh, but uh, for our other titles, right there on DM's Guild, just search for Tabletop Journeys, uh, our, our titles show up there. Uh, and we also have some swag that Glenn is sporting one of our Tabletop Journey shirts right now. We have mugs, we have hats, we have face masks. Uh, there's even onesies for those onesies, who are yep. about to bring in lots of new little gamers into the world. <laughs> I don't uh, know who you're talking about. My nephew was having a baby when I was designing this stuff, and I had a onesie. I couldn't help myself. And then yeah. one of my players <laughs> was having a baby, so I sent him one too. It was great. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that's right at uh, Tabletop Journey or Tabletop Dash Journeys Dash Swag Shop Dot Creator Dash <laughs> if you go to the www.ttjourneys.com website and you click on swag shop up at the top that's probably your best bet yeah that's quicker <laughs> i and was coughing there's it, 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 it's comp- it's complicated url yeah one it, other way that you could long. get one other way that you can get the traveler's guide to the multiverse or our any of our future publications is we do have a patreon tier where you get them for free 
Well, thanks so much for joining today. We've been out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So get out there, roll some dice, tell some stories, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, follow them on TikTok at Merely NPCs or visit them online at MerelyNPCs.com.